Matthew chapter 25 and 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Thank the Lord for his hand of protection on all the hunters and huntresses. Sis got her first deer, massive deer that it was. And uh, it was just fit for a lady. It was just a, it's going to be good. And then Aiden got a deer and I saw Brother Tyson was out there. Man, just die hard. Die hard. Leg brace and all. And so, uh, down to the track, any deer to you, that leg brace? Maybe some coyotes came around and snipped that wounded animal that he was. We had a, <clears throat> I lectured in Minneapolis on Friday night for uh, four hours, and then uh, yesterday from nine to five, I lectured. And then we got on the road and uh, we're home about one o'clock last night. I think the Lord first hand protection on us as we're traveling. We were able to go up a little bit early and just got to spend some time with my, my bride, which I enjoyed immensely. And uh, we got to eat at our favorite breakfast place, the original Pancake House. If you've never been there, they got some good coffee, they got good food. Share a meal, they're just giant, they're just giant place. And so we had a good time there. And then uh, she got to do her favorite thing. She got to go shoe shopping with a coffee in her hand. And uh, and thank the Lord we came back no shoes just just all just all looking window shopping I thank the Lord for that so that was that was an easy shopping trip and so uh, we got to go take um, brother and sister Fleming my pastor for years I was in chiropractic school we were able to take them out to eat and just and go to coffee and just had a good time of fellowship and laughing and reminiscing and and uh, so just a just a good a good time. And uh, as I was lecturing, I, honestly, I, you can ask my wife, I just had a tough time with this this whole series and just really not wanting to do it. And I asked the Lord to shut the doors, and I tried to shut the doors, and he just kept them open. I began to think, well, Lord, if I'm going to be here, would you please let there be opportunities? And so as I was introducing uh, the, the material for the weekend, I just made mention that I practiced for 16 years, and I've been pastoring church in Bandan. And that opened up a lot of doors. A young man came to me in, in the uh, parking lot after Friday night. Everybody had left. He, he stopped me and said, can I ask you a few questions? He said, you're a pastor. Are you a Christian pastor? I said, yes, I'm a Christian pastor. I'm an apostolic, Pentecostal Christian pastor. He said, can I ask you about some things? And he wanted to know about the things we've talked about in the church, like on the body talk and the healing energies and these things. He says, what's, what's your take on this from a Christian's perspective? And so I thank the Lord that he was he was hungry. And so he we, we traded information and, and we're being contact and praying for a Bible study with him. And we met a two uh, older gentlemen. They practice in a small community in, uh, in um, uh, Minnesota. Uh, one of them actually started his career way back when. He's probably about a real old guy, about as old as my father-in-law. And he uh, practiced in Minot for a number of years. And so we had a chance to talk to him and just asking the Lord to make something a good come out of out of that that lecture series and so uh, just thankful for the hand of the lord and protection on all those that were out and about this weekend and uh it's good to be back home in church and i'm just thankful for the lord and and uh, i was praying uh, i knew this was going to be a, a busy week so i was praying and i even told brother fleming on uh, on thursday night i said i'm just i'm asking the lord to give me something he says does, does, yeah, I, I can see you want the Lord to give you something. 
And I do believe the Lord dropped something in my spirit uh, over the weekend and began to talk about it and pray about it and think about it. And um, I'm just going to turn to the book of Matthew chapter 25. We're going to read a, a parable here in verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability. And straightway took his journey. But he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoned with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. That he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said to him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou Oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received my own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 2, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. A steward is a trustee. A steward is a manager. Faithful is to be true and credible and certain and sure. And there are many qualifications required and necessary for a good steward, but none are more fundamental, none are more basic than that of being faithful. I want to preach for a while this morning with the help of the Lord this thought. Faithful stewards. Faithful stewards. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your presence already here. And I pray, God, that you would anoint the ministry of your word. I pray that you give us receptive ears to hear. God, instruct us, encourage us, provoke us. God, just help us to be more like you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You may be seen. We see here in Matthew chapter 25 this parable that the Lord is teaching his 
disciples. And he's speaking to them in this second part of this all that discourse. And he is speaking to them of heavenly things. And this parable, he mentions a, a man. This man represents Jesus Christ. And he goes into a far country. This far country represents heaven. And he calls his own servants, and this represents born-again believers. And so Jesus is, is telling them in this parable that he is that man, and he is going to go away. And later on in the parable, he mentions that he's going to go away for a long time. He's, he's giving them a, a little bit of a preview that it's going to be a long time before he comes and he calls us home. Now, we, we get ready because Jesus is coming to call us home. And he tells them that it's going to be a little while. And he, he, he lays out this, this parable. And he, he lays out this instruction to them. And he says this kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who calls his servants to them, those that he has chosen to entrust into their care things that he's going to leave behind, his riches. His belongings, his kingdom, the things that he's purchased, the things that he's worked for, the things that his own might and his own hand and his own power had gotten him. He chooses servants to put those things and to deliver those things and to hand over those things to them. Jesus came and he began a Tremendous work, and he brought in a new covenant. By his own power, he brought in a new covenant. Hebrews calls it a better covenant. It's a better way. And by his own power and by his own authority, he brought something in that was greater and something better and something bigger. By the strength of his own right arm, and by the strength of his own power, by the by the authority in him, he purchased us, and he purchased the church, and he purchased our redemption, and he has desired to deliver that to us as the church. He's desired to give us the things that he gained. And it says that he gave to one of the servants five talents now a talent there's there's, there's a, a lot we're going to draw from this portion of scripture this morning a talent here would be equivalent financially to 20 years of work so to one man he gives five talents a hundred years worth of financial work to another man he gives two talents 40 years of financial equivalency to his to him. And then to the other, he gives one talent, 20 years. He gives each of these men the talent. Another thought here with the talent is the talent is the heaviest measure of weight in the Hebrew language. It's implying that 
Even if you're given one talent, the immeasurable value in the weight of that one talent ought to provoke us to do something even if we are one talent servants. You see, the Lord gave some five talents. He gave one, two talents. And he gave one, one talent. And how he divided that up, the scripture tells us, he gave to every man according to his several ability. He gave to every man according to his own unique ability. God will not give you more than you can deal with, nor will he give you less than you can deal with. God will give you what is toward your unique ability. One of the biggest problems we have, they that measure themselves among themselves, they that compare themselves among themselves, the Bible say, are unwise. It would have been very unwise for the two-talent individual to look at the five-talent individual and say, because I did not get five talents, I'll not do anything about it. It would be foolish and unwise for the one with one talent to look at the one with two talents and say, because I only received one talent, I'll do nothing with it. That would be foolishness to do that. You need to serve God in the place, in the position, in the, in the way that he has given you. And you need to do the very best with what he's given you. And he gives you according to your ability. And so he gave one five, and he gave one two, and he gave one one. His talents, financial, these talents, weights, these talents representing our natural and our spiritual abilities that we've been given by God. God has given each of you in here a talent. Some of you in this place this morning are one talent servants. Some of you are two talent servants. Some of you are five talent servants. But if you are a born-again believer, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, born again of water and spirit, God has given you at least a talent. And these talents here are the things that God has allowed us to have in our own hands. I did nothing for them. You did nothing for them. He looks at the ability. He looks at the availability. He looks at this servitude, and he places it in their hands. Now, the talent is everything spiritual and everything physical that God, and everything natural that God gives us. I want to talk about some things that can be talents in our life. Time can be a talent. Everybody has the same 24 hours in a day. But not everybody has the same number of days. Seventy years, if by reason of strength, more. But no one in here is guaranteed to even hit 70, unless you are past 70. So we all have 24 hours in a day. We all have 60 minutes in our hour, but we are not all given the same number of hours. Some individuals are given more time in this earth than others. How do we spend our time 
how do we manage our schedule? What does our calendar reveal of our priorities of time in the time that we live in right now? What does our day timer show that we're spending and investing our time in? Is, is God squeezed in to a busy schedule where we can see and I can fit you in, God, next Tuesday from 1 to one fifteen. Is God a allocation in a block of schedule that you control? Do I try to put God in the box of my own time and my own calendar? And do I serve him or does he serve me? Now, I will tell you this. God does not serve us. You can act like God serves you. You can pretend that God serves you. But God does not serve you. Israel fell into trouble when they went into battle. And it was a battle that God had not called them to. And so what did they do? They pulled out the Ark of the Covenant. As if God were some suitcase. They could pack God in and say, I need you on this trip. And they take him into battle. And with that kind of thinking, that is when the ark was taken. Because God does not serve you. God does not serve me. I serve him. I serve him. I cannot choose when I'm going to have God touch me and when I'm going to have God not touch me. That's why it's imperative that when there is a drawing of God's Spirit, that we do not quench the Spirit, and we do not deny the opportunity for the Holy Ghost to touch us, because He may never touch you again. You never step into the same river twice. You'll never get this moment ever, ever again. If the Lord's drawing your heart today, it would be wise for you to respond to him because you serve him. It's not the other way around. You, you, you have no, uh, you have no uh, confirmation and you, you have no guarantee that you'll leave here and that he'll touch you again next week. I know we serve a God of mercy. I know we serve a God of love. But God is not something that we carry around like a good luck charm. Right. He's not a rabbit's foot that we keep in our pocket. He's not some idol that we bring about with us when we need him. He's a God and he's God alone and we serve him every day and we serve him at all times. We serve him in good times. We serve him in bad times. We serve him when we're healthy. We serve him when we're sick. We serve him when we're rich. We serve him when we're poor. He's God. God does not serve us. So time. Where, where do we put God into time? I want to be a faithful steward. I don't want to be living a life of a of a Christian that's in and out of the church and planning on a, a deathbed confession. 
I don't want to wait until my body is so abused by sin and, and disease of the of the world has, has wreaked havoc on my physical strength. And I lie at the end of my life and all I can do is whisper out a little prayer like some wounded, compromised individual. I want to live for him every day. Young people, the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, said, Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Serve him now. Don't wait for tomorrow. Because he goes through, he paints this picture of old age. He paints this picture of of the teeth that begin to fall out and the knees that begin to tremble and the ankles that become weak and the ears that become deaf and the sight that becomes dim. I don't want to use the, the peak of my physical strength and stamina on the things of the world and give all my time to the yeah. things of the world. I want to be a faithful steward That's right. That's right. That's right. every day that God gives oh, me. Yes. God woke me up this morning. I'm thankful for that. Oh yes. God allowed me to come into the house of the Lord this morning. I'm thankful for that. God allowed me to participate in corporate praise and worship. I'm thankful for that. Can I tell you that physically, yes, I'm tired. But how can I miss an opportunity to praise the King of Kings? And the Lord of Lords. I'm not guaranteed Tuesday night. I'm not guaranteed next Sunday. That's right. How can I come to the house of God and say, well, I'll just uh, I'll pull something out of the old filing cabinet because we may never have another message. And I want to be a faithful steward. Oh, Jesus, thank you, Lord. God, I did my best to use the time that you gave me to eat the fuck Finances. This scripture is talking about talents. Somebody walked up to you and gave you a hundred years of worth of salary. That'd be a pretty good gig. <laughs> That'd be a pretty good deal. You get all these bonuses. You sign up at Pizza Hut. You get a fifteen hundred dollars sign-on bonus. And you work for Jesus. Like I'm gonna give you a hundred years, maybe your whole life. You know? Okay, that's a good, that's a good deal. Finances. We need to be good stewards, faithful stewards of our finances. People say you can tell what people love by looking at their pocketbook and their calendar. Your time and your money. You can see what God you worship. The Bible says, labor not to be rich. But it says, don't be slothful. It says, labor not to be rich, but it says, if you don't provide for your own family, you're worse than an infidel. It says, labor not to be rich, but it says, if a man doesn't work, he ought not to eat. How in, 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 the, in the currency of heaven do we financially steward what God has given us? Be good stewards, rather, of the financial blessings that God has given us. 
there are individuals in the world that will do anything at all costs to amass wealth. That's why there are men that are now homeless because they thought they could go to Vegas and make it big. They thought they'd be the one to make it big. So men will gamble. They'll buy lottery tickets. And they'll in become involved in things that are unscrupulous and things that are not financially sound or wise and not biblically wise. And they'll begin to try to amass wealth and riches. Some will say, I, I, I've heard people say, I'll do anything to make money. I'd even sell drugs. So some people do that. They'll sell drugs to make money. We live in a world where there are now sites that you can participate in where you can sell yourself on a site to make money. You read about the news all the time. A teacher, tired of teacher's pay, goes to a site where she's making millions of dollars a year now selling herself because people labor to be rich. There are people that will involve themselves in stealing and in theft. They're greedy and they'll do whatever is possible as if somehow the end result of a full bank account justifies the means in which they got that bank account. But that's not God's plan. There are those that, that will strive for the, the, the glitz and the glamour of life, but they will neglect the biblical principles of financial stewardship. And we are to be faithful stewards. And you and I must understand that everything we have financially comes from Him. The principle of tithing, the giving of first 10%, the first fruit is acknowledging that everything I have belongs to God. If I withhold my tithe, which I owe, if I withhold my tithe in the 10%, in God's eyes, I withhold 100%. If I bring 100 sheep through here, and I count through 1 through 89, and I put them in Charles's pen. 90, 91, 92, 93, 94, 95, 96, 97, 98, 99. I miscounted there. I did the math on my head. 100. And those 10, those last 10, go to God. Guess what? I'm saying in my eyes, you own nothing of this, God. Now the earth is the Lord's and forms the other world that dwell in. All the cattle on a thousand hills is his. All the gold and the silver belongs to him. But I'm saying in my eyes, you don't own any of it. So the principle of the tithe is my first ten, not just my first ten, but my best ten. You get that one, God. You get that one, God. You get that one, God. And by doing that, God, you only have 10. You let me keep 90 of these sheep. 
But I gave you my ten best. And so what I'm doing, God, is showing you that in my eyes, in the currency I operate in, you own everything I have. That means if you come to me in the middle of a bad month and you say, I need your last five sheep, they're yours anyway. Go ahead. That's the principle of tithes. There are voices that say that tithes is not New Testament. That's false doctrine. There are those that say, oh, he just preached tithes because uh, he, he wants a, a, a bigger paycheck. I don't take from the tithes at this point. I will one day, Lord willing. The reason there's a principle is because for a man to be a steward of what God's given, they must be faithful, and we have got to be faithful in our finances. We've got to be faithful in our giving. And the principle of tithe is the first belongs to you. I owe a tithe. But I bring an offering. And there will be those that will try to manipulate those that will try to acquire money and finances and, and, and wealth unlawfully and immorally. The Bible says that we render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. You cannot cheat the IRS to go to heaven. Does anybody in here like paying taxes? I don't either. But you cannot cheat. You cannot say, I'm not going to pay taxes. I don't like that idea. They don't deserve my money. I work for that money. You can say that. But I'm telling you, as a man of God, in your life, if you cheat on your taxes, you won't go to heaven. But you're theft. People come in and they'll, they'll cheat on their time clocks. Now it's all digital, right? It's all you punch in the card. Unless you can be a computer hack, you can hack this, this system. If you stop working at 9.07, don't say it was 9.30. Don't, don't cheat your employer. Because that's an unjust weight. An unjust weight and an unjust measure, the Bible says, in an abomination to the Lord. That means you'll lose your soul over lying on a time clock. We have to make sure that we're faithful stewards. That what we say we're doing, we're doing. That we don't try to cheat the system or, or curb the law or, or, or bend the, the law in, in, in our, our favor. You, you, there are things that you cannot do if you're going to be a Christian. Because God's given some five, and God's given some two, and God's given some one. And we're going to get to what he does with those that he gave five and two and one. And we have to learn and glean from this that it matters what I do with what God gives me. It matters to God how I spend my money. 
I was teasing Jendi. But I am thankful for a, a, a wife that does not put us into debt by spending frivolously. I'm thankful for that. I appreciate that. I'm thankful for the uh, many, many times she's gone and seen something she wants. It's already on sale. But she's going to wait for it to go on double clearance. And when she goes, it's gone. I'm thankful for that. Is it wrong for you ladies to go buy shoes? No. Buy your shoes. But you know, you know, God, where's this in the, in the grand scheme of things? I need to evaluate my stewardship of what you've given me. Guys, it's not wrong to go hunting. I'm thankful for hunters. My freezer will be stocked because of the, the tithing of deer. <laughs> I'm thankful for that. But there's got to be an evaluation as a faithful sort of guy to say, do I really need this? Do I really need that? Do I really need this? Now, if you come up to me and say, man, I got this brand new gun. I got this brand new rifle. The Lord blessed me with this. And, and great. That's okay. Because you know what a faithful steward is? They're faithful in tithes, they're faithful in offering, they're faithful in giving, and, and the Lord can bless them, and they can have that money. I, I tell you, people that are living barely scrapping by need to evaluate what they spend their money on. I don't smoke. You can't smoke and go to hell. Okay? I don't know what a pack of cigarettes cost. But I watched a guy walk into the grocery store in Jamestown at 1130 at night. 11.45 at night. Walk up to the counter and order. Like, he kept rambling. like this long, gigantic, just worse than like a Starbucks coffee order. This pack of cigarettes he wanted. And I don't know if he got one pack or two packs or what it was, but it was like 12 bucks. I don't know how much a pack of cigarettes is. Maybe it had two packs. I don't know. But you could tell financially how he's dressed and financially how he has car looked that he wasn't just doing that stellar. How much money could you save if you'd stop smoking and live for Jesus? I don't know how much drinks cost, but I know my dad would tell me when he would go and he would go out on uh, company uh, deals, if he was paying, he never bought alcohol. But if he was there and someone else was picking up the tab and they would have alcohol at the table, he didn't drink the alcohol, he didn't order the alcohol, but he'd say it would add anywhere from 500 to $2,000 on the tab for alcohol. Living for Jesus is a pretty good way to get out of debt. Living for Jesus is a pretty good way to get out of the financial dysfunction that people are in. Because sin costs a lot. I don't know how much it is to participate in some of the, the activities of the world, but it's not cheap, and, and people will spend all these things, and they'll do all these activities, and they and they just they, they just use their finances uh, 
wastefully. But we, we need this as Christians, as Christians, God's called us to be good financial stewards to help advance the kingdom. That's why he's given to you. You have a successful business not so that you can amass wealth, not so that you can store up. Because when you die, you can't take it with you anyway. You, you, you store up your treasures in heaven. Does that mean you can't have anything in a financial savings account? Does that mean you can't have anything in a retirement account? No, I think that's good stewardship to have a retirement plan and a, a life insurance plan. I was talking to the doctors yesterday. I think my life insurance policy ends when I'm 65. I told Jim, don't take me out when I'm 64 and you know, three quarters. Yeah, we're paying into it, and just you know, hopefully I never have to use it. I want to live until I'm at least 116. That's my goal, if, should the Lord tarry. Now, I don't want to be 116 if the rapture already took place. But we need to make sure that we're not letting our our actions be deceptive. We need to we need to make sure that our finances are in order and that we're doing things properly. We're doing things cheerfully. So tithes we owe, offering, they're not of necessity. They're not given grudgingly. But God loves a cheerful giver. People say, not necessity, it means I don't have to give any offering. No, no. Church runs on offering. Lights turn on because of offering. Missions is funded because of offering. And so we give cheerfully. Pastor friend of mine just posted. He said they have a church. They're seeing tremendous revival and tremendous growth. And I want to be a church of tremendous revival and tremendous growth. I want to be a church that's full uh, of good stewards. And, and he said, "Here's what they did: family prayer. We know how to pray. Breakthrough worship. Sound like today? Preaching doctrine without apology." Do my best to do that. Ministry by every member. Teaching Bible studies. Soul winning. Talking to people. And faithfulness and tithing and offering. That's God's financial plan. That's how a church sees revival. So that's stewardship. Another way that we're stewards in relationships. We need to steward our relationships. The most important relationship you have on this earth is your relationship with God. Number one, hands down, first and foremost, you must have a relationship with God. You may know Him. Know Him well. You have to know Him. If you're married, your second most important relationship in this life is your spouse. Hands down. It's not your hunting buddies. It's not your fishing buddies. It's not your shopping gals. It's not your shoe sisters. It's your spouse. It's your spouse. Hands down. If you have children, the third most important relationship in your life is your children. Hands down. Your children. Then, it's your church. 
It's to them that are the household of faith. And then it's to our community that we've been called to, to reach the lost. You get that messed up. You get that priority wrong. And you run shipwreck. You get that out of order. And you lose the priority that God's established in his word. And now you run your life amok. And you find yourself being a poor steward of your relationships. You get to a place in your walk with God. Where you can teach Bible studies every night of the week. But your children don't live for God. Now I, I get it. I, I get it. I've got three children all the age of accountability. Ethan Charles, whether or not you live for God is completely dependent on your choice. Aiden James, whether or not you live for God, completely dependent on, 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 your, on your choice. I can't make you, pray for you, I can instruct you, I can teach you, you can hear the wisdom of your father, the wisdom of your mother. JLM, whether or not you live for God is totally up to you. I can't, I can't make you live for God. You don't want to live for God. But it, how tragic it would be for me to get to the end of my life and my wife can't talk to me and my kids can't talk to me. And in that time, nothing else matters. Let me tell you who, who's not gonna who's not gonna be around you on your deathbed. They Facebook friends that you barely know. They're not gonna be with you. The people that you try to please to keep up with the Joneses won't be at your bedside holding your hand as you pass to the other side. You know who's going to be there? Your spouse, if they're living. Children. Those closest to you. Your church family. We've got to be stewards of our relationships. Talents. Our energy. Our ability. Our unique Things that God gives us, that he gives to us and places us in the body of Christ. These are talents that we must steward. God's given you certain abilities. God's given you certain energies. God's given you certain qualifications that he's given to you. And he's placed you in the body of Christ to do your best as you use those talents. So the first and the second, he comes up with those servants. And what they did is they worked promptly. It says that when he had received the five talents, he went and traded with them the same and made them other five talents. And he that received two, he gained another two. They went promptly to work. A faithful steward, when God asks you to do something, will promptly Respond to what God asks you to do. Faithful steward. With perseverance, they worked. The Bible says that for a long time the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoned with them. There were times that 
they persevered and they did not hear from the master. They did not hear from the one whose things they were taking care of and stewarding. And they could have grown disheartened and they could have grown callous and they could have said he was not coming back. But they persevered. There's too many people come to live for God and they squeeze two or three days in a row that are good days for God and they act like, where's my reward? God, I've given you three of the best days of my life. Where's my reward? Faithful stewards persevere. For how long? Until the master comes. It's a long time. But a faithful steward says, I'm not in this for the short game. I'm in this for the long haul. So when you decide to be a faithful steward and you decide and make up your mind you're going to persevere, you're not easily offended. You don't look for a way out. When you're a faithful steward that's persevering, you can have a bad day and you don't lose the Holy Ghost over it. You just keep persevering. Because he's coming and you believe that. So you persevere. They labored promptly with perseverance and they were successful in what they endeavored to do. They multiplied what God gave them. And they were ready to give an account. Comes up to the Lord. Master, here's my five talents. You gave me five. Look what I did. I got five more. Excitement. Ready always to give a reason of the hope that lies in them. They were ready to give an account for what they did. And the same thing that one or two. Man, Master, you gave me two. And look what I did with this. I doubled it. I got two more. And they're so happy. And they're so excited. And the Lord looks at them. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you a ruler over many things. I'm talking about earthly faithfulness. Which leads to Eternal ruling. All hinged on what we do in this life. He says, well done. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Now, I want to hear that. I want to hear that. Now the third servant comes along and he doesn't think. He doesn't work. He doesn't even try. But he comes and he makes excuses and he comes to the Lord and says, I knew that you're a hard man and you reap where you've not sown and you gather where you've not strolled. And I was afraid and I went and I hid my talents in the earth. He takes what the master gave him, he digs a little hole, he puts it in the ground, and he covers it up. The laziness of this guy is so lazy, I doubt he even fully covered it up. Just kicks some dirt on it. Whatever. He comes, and he buries it. Now the kingdom of God is like unto a treasure hid in a field. It's like a pearl that is hidden in the sea. 
The kingdom of God for us as a church is a kingdom that is hidden in the hearts of men. But we are a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. And we are a light that cannot be hid under a bushel. Because when the kingdom of God begins to express in our life, we show fruit. And we show the, the outpouring and the outcropping and the growth that comes from that hidden kingdom in our life. So what this unwise one did is he, he took the kingdom of God and he buried it back in the ground. That's not where it's designed to stay. The kingdom of God's not designed to stay locked up in our heart. Right. It's meant to be out. It's meant to be a light. It's meant to be a city. It's meant to not be hidden. Our work in the kingdom of God is designed to be visible. People ought to know you're an apostolic. People ought to know that you're a Christian. Every person that you work with, they ought to know you're a Christian. Your employer ought to know that you're a Christian. Your accountant ought to be able to look at your books and say, this must be a Christian. Everything you do, everything that you do, people ought to be able to see a living epistle known and read of all men. It'd be tragic for us to do things that make people scratch their head and wonder, is that guy even a Christian? It'd be tragic for us to involve ourselves in things and act one way in the church and another way out of the church and leave people scratching their head. Listen. Still I am an ambassador of Christ. I am a representative of Jesus Christ. And I would fully, fully believe that if you call yourself a Christian and you're part of the New Word Apostolic Church, that you behave as a Christian outside the church. Because otherwise, don't call me pastor in public. Don't call me brother and mother. If you curse at the waitress, don't invite me to sit at your table and then talk God with me in front of her. Because we are ambassadors of Christ. And we must be living epistles, known and read of all men. And they ought to know us by our fruit. And I want people to know, oh, that's not just a Christian. That's an apostolic Christian. That's just not an apostolic Christian. They go to that living word, apostolic church. I can tell. Tragic people scratch their head and wonder, what do you say to a Christian? It'd be even worse. 
somebody looked at our life and said, if that's a Christian, I don't want it. Be a tragic thing to live our life in such a way that people see the duality and the double-mindedness and the underpinnings of our actions and they say, if that's what a Christian is, I don't want it. be really hard for me to get up and come to the house of God and preach about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and my wife comes a big shiner because I socked her that would never happen but it can't be a non-physical verbal shiner either Because if I'm a steward of my relationship, it matters to me when I get behind this pulpit. She has to think I'm a Christian. First, he must think I'm a Christian. Then she must think I'm a Christian. And then this guy right here must think I'm a Christian. And this guy must think I'm a Christian. And this guy must think I'm a Christian. Before any of you think I'm a Christian, they have to think I'm a Christian. Steward. Grow up in a home where they say, if that's being a Christian, I don't want it. Okay. Be stewards. Yeah. Long time. And he comes, he says, make you ruler. This this idea of, of this of this long time. This we're living in the long time of this parable right now. <coughs> the master's not come back yet. He's not called us to give an account for what we've done. But there is millennial speak here. Ties into what we've been talking about in the book of Revelation. There's millennial talk here. That that you were faithful in a few things here. And you steward them well. I'm going to make you a ruler over things in the millennium. You see that this is happening here. We're going to rule here. It goes on. One with the ones. I hit it. The Lord says, take the talent from him. Give it unto him from which hath ten talents. For every, unto every one that hath shall be given. He shall have abundance. But for him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. Cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I, I, I know, I, I honestly, I did not know how this was going to go yesterday. I asked the Lord, and I just, just, don't, don't let it be heavy where you get discouraged. Heavy is this introspective. What, what, what the Spirit is here right now is not a condemnatory spirit. What the Spirit here is right now is an introspective spirit. Let a man examine himself. And we need to examine our stewardship today. We need to examine, Paul talked about, which we preached about last week, on, on building on the foundation of some would use gold and silver and precious stones, and some would use wood, hay, and stubble. We need to evaluate our building materials again this weekend. Because there's eternal consequences to this. And just as they built, 
Now, this idea. A parable is a parable and has an overarching singular meaning. The overarching singular meaning of this parable is this. You do your best with what Jesus has given you. That's, that's the overarching meaning of this. There are other things that are kind of woven in here. But we have to understand that this one with the single coin, the unfaithful servant, is being judged at the same time as the one with two talents and the one with five talents. So, the church will not have the great white throne judgment. The church will have the judgment seat of Christ, where we'll stand before him and give an account for everything that we've done, said, or acted on. That's not a judgment seat of heaven or hell. Okay? It's a judgment seat of the deeds that were done, and, and we're going to give account for them so that we can be rewarded according to what we produced in this life. So this verse 30 kind of throws in this, this monkey wrench here. Like, is this unprofitable servant going to stand at the mercy seat of Christ and be cast into hell in that place? Scripture doesn't, that doesn't correlate. Could it be that the Lord's going to take that talent, what he built with was wood, hay, and stubble, and fire's going to come and judge it, going to burn it, Everything he gained, everything he had in this life is lost and destroyed. He, he himself will be saved. Paul told that to the church of Corinth. He himself will be saved. But everything he built will be gone. You want to lose your anointing in this life? To jeopardize your inheritance for eternity? I don't want to. I want to be a faithful steward. Could it be that God looks at this unfaithful servant judges him as an unfaithful servant and allows him to stand on the periphery peering in to unfathomable darkness at the souls he could have and should have reached. Could it be that the Lord will allow that unprofitable servant to see the eternal consequences of his hiding the talent in the earth. I've always thought that you got to be a soul winner. I think the scriptures kind of plays into that idea. We got to be a soul winner. Does that mean that we're responsible to them coming in and getting baptized? Jesus the Lord? No, that's, that's the increase. God gets that. But we ought to be a Bible study teacher. We ought to be a witness. People ought to know that we are a child of the king and that we're not hiding our talent. And so we, we, we have this evaluation. As we stand to our feet and musicians come, we have to spend periods of time like this where we evaluate God where Am I being a poor steward? The fault is not if you're a one-talent person or a two-talent person or a five-talent person. That's not the emphasis here. 
God's not going to expect the same outcome out of all of us here. That's not the, that's not the deal. God's going to expect out of everyone here the best with which he gave you. That's why you can't look and say, what five-talent guy is doing this? I'm going to do this, but you're only a two-talent guy. And then you get frustrated because you're looking at the, at the, at the fruit, that you're looking at the outcome of that five-talent guy. You're thinking, I, this is frustrating. And then you give up. No, no, no. God might give you one talent. And you know what you do? You multiply that talent. God is all about multiplication. God's all about expansion. God is not about us remaining our little group, us four and no more. God's about growth. God's about abundance. God's about uh, territory. And so, as faithful stewards, he said you were faithful in a few things. Because you did well with everything I gave you. You were faithful to me with your time. You were faithful to me with your finances. You were faithful to me with your relationships. You were faithful to me with your talents. Because you were faithful in a few things. I'm going to make you a ruler. We're promised a reward. We're promised a crown. <laughs> I want a crown. We're promised a throne. Lord, so we're going to sit with him on his cross. We're promised a kingdom. All of these promises placed in our hands. Something that we did not work for. Something we did not strive for. Something that we really didn't even deserve placed in our hands. And the master says, I'm going to go away for a long time. What you do with what I placed in your hands is going to have eternal benefits or consequences. God's not going to ask for your end of the year accounting books when you stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. He's not going to ask to see the bottom line of the 401k when you stand before him to give an account for every word and everything that you've done. Or he's not going to say, how many purses do you have? How many rifles do you have? How many bows do you have? Hey, it's okay that your family fell apart. You got three homes and a vacation. That's okay. That's okay. No, 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 no. He's going to look and say, I gave you five. I gave you two. I gave you one. Did you work with me? Did you multiply? Did you give it back to me? Did, 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 did you prepare it for me and, and come with perseverance? And did you come with 
promise and that you come with a hope to give an account. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. As we open up these altars, I want you to come. I want you to evaluate the stewardship. I want you to evaluate the, the building materials. I want you to evaluate the state of your soul. It, 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 it's good. These are these are good times. You know, in, in the physical realm, we, we take time to go meet with the financial advisor to make sure we're gonna have enough money for retirement. We we meet with the accountant to make sure that we're everything looks good and done decently. We, we see all that. We understand all that. What this is, is spiritual accounting right now. See, Lord, I, I, I'm, just, I'm just making sure I'm doing my best. I'm making sure I'm doing my best. We, we, we can all do more. This is not condemnatory. This is pastor preaching to pastor. I can do more. You can do more. This church can do more. Let's pray today.